Uh, we have profile slots, and uh, today we have the amazing Clive McDonald is going to come up, and I'm going to interview him. So we started, I think Mike kicked it off, didn't you, in July with the first little profile. So Clive, I'll give you this mic. And, uh, Good morning. Hi, everybody. He's been doing nights, so uh, he's... Lights he are on, but nobody's on. <laughs> But uh, hopefully this will go fine. So obviously some of us know Clive and been coming here for many years. Just say something about your family just quickly. Who's in your family? Um, I'm married, uh, two daughters, grown up, um, live with three women. <laughs> Don't understand them. <laughs> okay, that's great. Now, I know your story going back of how you became a Christian. It's quite an interesting, unusual little story. Do you just want to say what happened? Okay, uh, 9th of January, 1997, very important day. Um, wasn't going to church, uh, didn't have any influences around me. Uh, was working, who remembers when Channel 5 started? You were showing me your age, yeah. There was a, there was a reprogramming project, and um, I was one of the engineers tasked with going into people's houses and reprogramming their videos and, and their TVs. Um, and I was placed in Chislehurst, quite an affluent area. Um, was a problem. A black man turning up to Chislehurst, gravel drives, people looking out of their houses. What's this, what's this guy up to? Um, <laughs> was very difficult. Um, uh, one day they placed another trainee guy with me, another black guy. I thought it was difficult enough just me knocking on doors. And I put this other black guy with me. Anyway, he turned up, and he was just full of enthusiasm, beans. His first day on the job, it was snowing. Um, and I thought, this isn't going to go well. Anyway, we managed to get through the day, and we're sitting in my, in my car in Chislehurst High Street, and he shares the gospel with me. Um, if you can imagine it, just the picture of the scene, two black guys sitting in an old BMW in the middle of Chislehurst High Street, holding hands, <laughs> praying. And it was that point that I gave my life to the Lord. And I actually experienced the four angels, heavenly hosts, everybody getting excited. And yeah, and that's how it started for me. So it was nothing to do with church, nothing to do with other influences, just one day. That's great, Clive. Thanks for sharing that. Now, obviously, you didn't pursue a career in Channel 5 retuning in Chislehurst. Uh, you moved into a different job. Do you want to tell us what job you've been doing for the last, I don't know, however many well, years? The, the Channel 5 gig was just uh, a temporary position. I'd, I'd, previous to that, I'd been a BT engineer. I was a car mechanic. Um, and it was a stopgap job. So I'd been interested in getting on a railway. So I actually became a train driver just over 20 years ago. So I've been doing that job for, yeah, 20 years. Okay. And what's the best thing about your job? Um, I think the best thing is I'm kind of my own boss to a certain degree. Um, I get to see the sun come up. I get to see the sun go down. I get to see the seasons. I get to see, you know, sometimes all in one trip. <laughs> <laughs> I get to see the train's spring, that slow. spring, summer, autumn and winter in one trip. And I get to see God's creation. 
You know, I get to see everything. I get to see the stars, the moon, the whole lot. That's probably the best bit. That's great. One of the things we want to do in these profiles is think about people's work situations. Now, are there some traumatic aspects to being a trade driver? Maybe there's one or two things you could share so we just know what it's like for you. Unfortunately, there's a lot of death on the railway. Um, And I'm talking weekly. So uh, people throw themselves in front of trains. Um, It happens. Um, It's it's happened to me, (laughs) and it's, it's not... It's a, it's, a, it's a surreal experience in that the trains that I drive travel at 125 miles an hour. So by the time I get the emergency brake in, the train has traveled a mile before it stops. So in that mile, whatever's happening is going to happen. <laughs> um, and it's, it's a trauma in that it affects all of us because you might not necessarily be the driver, but you might see the aftermath. So you might be exposed to body parts or sometimes you're, in the old days we used to rescue trains. So I turn up with my loco and there'd be body parts on the track that haven't been moved yet. So yeah, it's, it can be quite traumatic. Yeah. yeah. So you've seen some good stuff, but also it's a real... Yes. Yeah, there is, a, there is a downside. And you get counselling if that happens? Um, well, fortunately, I've got a good pastor and a good church, so my counselling is coming from you guys. <laughs> but yes, there are official channels where uh, they send you to counselling, um, but I, I didn't need it. Okay, and I know you love to talk about Jesus when you get a chance. Sounds could be quite an isolated job, driving a train, but have you had chances yes. to share your faith um, at work? There, there's... Unfortunately, 95% of my working life is on my own. Um, But I've been doing the job a long while, and everybody knows that I'm a Christian. So it tends to be that in large groups, nobody's interested. But, you know, people go through stuff. And there are occasions where I might have a break and somebody's, you know, they've lost a loved one or they're having marital difficulties or whatever. And they will ask questions. And they'll they'll always start with the same question. If there is a God, why does he allow this? And and my response is always the same. I always always look around and I think, Lord, you ought to turn up now because I don't have all the answers. And um, the the scripture that that stays with me is um, Philippians 4, verse 13, is that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So it's, I always rely on God, Father God, Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit to turn up. Um, and I find that if you're open and genuine, and sometimes I say, look, I just don't know. I don't know why this is happening. But if I understood everything that God does, then God's not, he's not much good to me because God's got to be greater than I am. And um, I think people respond well when you're honest. Honest and real, yeah, Yeah, that's great. Now, we're going to look in a minute at the value of growing, everyone growing in their faith. Any stories you've got or examples where you've grown in faith? Yes, just recently. As I say, um, I spend most of my time on my own at work. Um, Doesn't present much opportunities for evangelism, I have to say. (laughs) Um, But, um, you know, Father God, he's an encourager. So just, I I think it was three weeks ago, 
I'd, I'd just come off nights. I finished work on a Saturday morning, and um, I had a birthday party to go to. Um, a neighbor across the road. I was really tired, didn't want to go, and you guys will recognize you get that voice. And it says, Clive, you've got to go to this party. And I was like, no, I really don't want to go. I'm really tired. I just don't want to go. And this voice just said, just, just quietly just kept saying, you've got to go to this party. And this party was at a pub in Peckham, which is, is this pub is run by my cousin. So I know the pub well. And it's, <laughs> there's quite a few unsavory characters that frequent this pub. So this was one of the reasons that I didn't want to go either. But anyway, in the end, I went. Um, walked into the pub, and there was about 50 people there at this party. And this guy came bounding up to me, um, like an old friend, and said, Clive, Clive, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. And I, I kind of recognized him, but didn't remember him. And I said, look, I'm really sorry. Um, I've just come off a night shift. I'm really tired. I don't remember your name. And he said, my name's Charlie. He said, I saw you about a year ago at a barbecue. And he said, you witnessed to me and you shared the gospel. You shared the faith. I don't remember a thing this guy was talking about. But sometimes that's the way that it happens. The Holy Spirit turns up and it's, it's nothing to do with you. It's just a message for them. And he said to me, he said, I have now started to go to church. Now, this guy's a grandfather. So his influence is quite great. You know, he's got children, he's got grandchildren. And he said, I have started to go to church because of you, because of what I saw in you. And um, I was so humbled because I was so glad that I'd listened to the voice so that I got feedback, that I got the encouragement. So sometimes we feel what we say is insignificant or when we get alongside people, but it's never. Because when God's involved, when Jesus is involved, it's never insignificant. So just to encourage I'm bound, there's bound to be people here who think, well, there's not much that I can do, you know, because we've got friends who are, I've got friends who are pastors, I've got friends who are evangelists, I've got friends who are missionaries, and sometimes you think, well, these guys are doing everything, and there's nothing I can do, but just work with the circle of influence that you have. And, uh, yeah, so God does encourage. Let's pray for you. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing, Clive. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for Clive. Thank you that he met you uh, in that high street in Chislehurst. Thank you that you transformed his life. Thank you that he's been serving you for 20 years, Lord Jesus. Lord, thank you. You're concerned about him and his family. You're concerned about him and his work. And we pray that you'll guard him from traumatic experiences, that you will be with him and help him to be a resource to others. And the fact that he knows you, he can be a real uh, pointer, a real witness to others that are going through traumas in the workplace or traumas in their personal lives. And Lord, thank you that you've uh, given him a gift in uh, sharing his faith and uh, that you're guiding him. And we pray blessings on this guy and blessings on other people that he shared with. And may there be many others and he doesn't realize he doesn't remember what he said he doesn't think the conversation led anywhere 
but uh, the reality would be that men and women will be knowing you and going on with you because of what you've done in Clive's life. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Great. Thanks ever so much, Clive. Good. In September, we're looking at church values. And if the first slide can come up, please. Ben and uh, the value today we're looking at is growing. But uh, just before I start, I saw a headline in the newspaper this week. Uh, it wasn't the kind of front page headline, just a little uh, article. And it said, making plans for Nigel's. And so that caught my attention. And this is a shout out for a, a man called Nigel Smith, age 56. And he is making plans for a party for people called Nigel. After learning that no newborns were called Nigel last year. I can't imagine why. Actually, I've, I've heard that, that story. I heard that story, but I've heard it's been disputed, and there might have been one or two. Pray for them. So you heard that in the news. You may have heard it. So he's having a party for anyone called Nigel. And he says this. Let's face it. It's not a popular name, said Nigel. Pub landlord of the fleece in Worcestershire. But surely there's enough of us to create a lasting mark. Nigel says that his Nigel party will be on September the 28th. That's Saturday week, isn't it? Wow, I could still go. <laughs> Fantastic. There's a Nigel party on September the 28th. He will welcome non-Nigels. But they will be required to wear a badge, making it clear that they are not called Nigel. Perhaps in future they'll be, followed, they'll be followed by parties for Ian's, Keith's, Gary's and Tony's. We shall see. But I just want you to know that you're so blessed that you're in a two-Nigel church. I mean, that's so rare and so privileged. So I want you to be blessed. But on a serious note, uh, we're saying we want to see everyone growing. And we're saying we're all called to love and follow Jesus. And that journey never finishes. It's ongoing. It's good to grow. It's good to grow. If you put the next slide up, please. Sometimes you want to see growth out of a sense of frustration. I don't know if you find that with other people. Have you seen two people having a petty argument? And you just want to say, grow up. You're squabbling like kids. I don't know if you've ever kind of hovered around a married couple having an argument. And you just think, well, I don't know what's going on here. But you kind of feel grow up. And I actually remember some old friends, and uh, they invited someone round to their flat in Catford. And as he was walking up the path, he heard these kind of noises and sounds inside and raised voices. And one of them opened the door and said, sorry, we're having an argument. Come back another day. Shut the door. And then the noises carried on. So things go on like that, don't they? But you want to say, grow up. Or you hear of people that are bearing grudges after years of other people. Come on, get over it, grow up. But in the main, growing is a very, very positive thing. It's a positive thing. It's good to grow. And we want to see each other fulfill our potential in Jesus. It's a wonderful thing, and it's an important biblical theme. And uh, those are pictures, bits, maybe you think a bit corny. Uh, they, I took them in Dulwich Park on Thursday, I think. And you just see the potential in growth, the one acorn, but a vast tree. It's really good to grow. In the next slide, look at the verses in Ephesians that Hannah read 
at the start of the meeting. And it says this in Ephesians 4, the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And it's a wonderful picture, the body of Christ, the church being built up, everyone, every part of it becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. How much potential is there for growth? That's a wonderful aspiration. No longer being vulnerable infants, being you get all sorts of theologies and ideas and lies out there, and you're not going to be deceived if you mature in Christ. And we're going to grow, becoming the mature body of Christ, growing and being built up in love as each part does its work. We've all got a part to play. We're all important to God. We're all gifted by God. And we want to see some of that growth. In my house group, we started a series on the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews 5 talks about the need to move on to solid food, the solid food of God's word, not just imbibing milk like infants. We need to move on to the solid food of the faith in the word. And Hebrews 6 says this, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings of Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instructions about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will move on to maturity, not laying again those basic foundations. And then 1 Corinthians 14 verse 20 says this, Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. And there's many, many stories and illustrations and verses in the Bible that encourage us to grow, to grow up, to be mature, to move on and to move forward. I was really encouraged on Wednesday night. You have a midweek meeting. You think everyone's busy. They're working late. They're looking after the kids. They can't come. But over 40 of us just gathering to hear what is theology at Here for Good this Wednesday night. And I would take that as a sign. There's a hunger to grow. There's a hunger to know God better. And it's a key biblical theme. If you put the next slide up, this is a little picture I saw on Facebook and put up. Step back. I have a mustard seed, and I'm not afraid to use it. And it's a principle of growth. It's how the kingdom comes, is how God works in our lives. And at a personal level, and we heard a bit about from, by Clive as well, I just prayed a prayer one day that God would come into my life. That's how it started. Very small, very simple, like a seed. But things happen on the back of that. Clive sat down with another guy in a car, in Chislehurst and prayed and asked God into his 
life 20 odd years ago and things have have grown from there and his influence for the kingdom of God has grown. And it works with projects as well. You, you hear about the food bank, we're involved in the food bank. And that started back in the, in the late 1990s. There was a guy in Salisbury and he heard about Romania and the communist regime falling and all the poverty and the needs in Romania. And he started to gather a, a, a van full of food and supplies to take to Romania. And he met a woman from a local estate, and she didn't mind him getting a van together to take the food to Romania, but she said, do you realize there's people in this country that are struggling as well? He hadn't thought about it. Salisbury's quite a nice place. But he investigated that need and started the first Trussell Trust food bank, and now it's a countrywide national profile thing, isn't it? Just a small seed. Just I want to do something for Romania once and then hearing about a need and now in the grace and the power of God it's having a national influence in our society. And growth is a goal for leaders as well. If we put the next slide up, there's a well-known older pastor in Los Angeles, Jack Hayford. He wrote the song Majesty, Worship is Majesty. He's a a leading pastor and preacher and author. And uh, this is one of the principles he has. Our goal isn't to build a big church, but to build big people. I like that. Our goal isn't to build a big church, but to build big people. And uh, it's not about getting thousands of bums on seats. Isn't it about relating to each other, relating to God, growing in faith, and us all being bigger people spiritually. John Maxwell, kind of leadership guru, says this, a question for leaders is, am I building people up or am I using people to build my organization up? Am I building people up or am I using people to build my organization up? And I put a similar thing on Facebook uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this challenging statement, if someone is no longer valuable to you because they don't attend your church or ministry events, you aren't in ministry, you're in business. If someone's no longer valuable to you because they don't attend your church or ministry events, you aren't in ministry, you're in business. We want to be in ministry, we want bigger people spiritually, people that grow with more of Jesus' heart. And uh, Nigel and Corinne have been great house group leaders over the years. I remember they, they'd done programs, and this is what's going on this term. And I don't know if you've, how many years you did it, but there was always a verse on the bottom. And it's a classic verse, Colossians 1.28. And that's the goal for leaders. The goal of their leadership in the house group and the goal for leaders is this. Colossians 1.28 Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's the goal of leadership. It's about building bigger people. We proclaim Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's a real goal. I want to be someone that is growing, 
And I want us all to feel encouraged to grow. And I want us as a church to say that we want to see everyone growing. So how do we go about it? And uh, my, there's lots of things, too many to, to mention in one short session now. But my thinking went back to a book uh, written at the end of the 1970s, first published in the UK at the beginning of the 80s. And it's a book written by a guy called Richard Foster called Celebration of Discipline. Celebration of Discipline, The Path to Spiritual Growth. Some of you may have read it in the past. Some of you may be gathering dust on your bookshelves. Maybe it's new to you because it's a few years old now. But it's trying to address this idea of, of growing spiritually. How do we grow spiritually? How do we know more of God? How do we become more like Jesus? David Watson, who was uh, a famous vicar in the Church of England. Uh, Yvonne and I were in York for a few days recently, and he used to be the vicar of uh, St. Michael the Belfry in York. And he says this in the foreword. There's been a sad decline in true spirituality amongst the majority of Western Christians. We are trapped in the vortex of modern life. He wrote that nearly 40 years ago. I don't know if you feel like that yourself now. We're trapped in the vortex of modern life. We have neglected our prayer life. We have stopped listening to God. We've been caught by the covetous spirit of our affluent society. I think that's been generally true in many ways in the West. And then the author of the book writes this, Superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. Deep people that really know God, that are growing spiritually, meeting with God and engaging with God. I remember I had a friend and he was moving on to another ministry and I was praying for him. And the picture I had was him kind of swimming near the surface of uh, a lake, and then choosing to dive down much deeper. And that simple little picture, I believe it was for him, and it was at that time. But it's always kind of stuck with me. Am I paddling around near the surface, or am I willing to dive deep and swim a bit deeper? And God wants to encourage us to do that. Uh, and a key to going deeper a key to maturing, a key to growing spiritually is the practice of spiritual disciplines, hence the title of the book, Celebration of Discipline. We may not like the idea of disciplines or that word. We could say spiritual exercises or spaces or opportunities to meet with God. But we have the opportunity to meet with God if we choose to dive in and to take it, and that's a pathway to growth. The book uh, looks at 12 of them. It's not an exhaustive list. Meditation, prayer, fasting, Bible reading and study, living simply, solitude, submission, service, confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. I haven't got time to spell out all of those. Some of those words you know, some of those disciplines or exercises you practice, that's just part of the menu. And there are other ways as well that you can connect with God. But he makes a few important points in the book that I want to look at. And I've uh, got titles of them listed there. 
These spiritual disciplines, these ways of meeting with God through prayer or through meditation or through serving or through celebrating or through fasting or through giving, these are for ordinary life and for ordinary people, not just for spiritual giants. It's not like the spiritual discipline are for you know, monks that devote their whole lives to God. They're gifts and opportunities and spaces for all of us in ordinary life, dealing with all the ordinary pressures of life. I did a retreat uh, on my sabbatical three years ago and went to Worth Abbey. And so you join the monastery for a few days. And so there's monks there that are devoting their whole lives to God. Uh, I was met by Father Keith or something like that. And uh, he'd been there since the founding of that monastery back in the 1950s, and he was still there. It, a spiritual discipline just for monks like that. I think I gave him a shock, though, because when I arrived, I said, how long have you been here? And he said, I've been here since 1956, um, uh, since the, 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 the monastery was founded. And I said, oh, wow, you've been here since before I was born. And the look on his face <laughs> when he realized how long he'd been there, but... Are spiritual disciplines just for monks that uh, spend all their lives? They're not. They're for ordinary people dealing with ordinary pressures of ordinary lives. And they're best exercised in the midst of daily activities. Their effect must be found in the ordinary junctures of human life, in our relationships with friends and neighbors, brothers and sisters, husbands and wives. So it's not for spiritual giants. It's for ordinary life. I remember meeting a minister, and uh, he went to a conference, and he was convicted about needing to spend time with God and get his spiritual life sorted out. So he got up slightly earlier in the morning and went out to the local park and sat on a bench and read his Bible and walked around the park, and he really loved it. And then he went home to his wife and four young children. And uh, his wife is a very kind of timid character, quiet as a mouse. But even he realized that maybe God's will for his life at that point wasn't to disappear off to the park every morning for an hour to engage with God and leave his wife with four young children to cope with everything. And there are seasons in life, and the spiritual disciplines aren't if you've got hours free every day. They're there for everyone just to meet with God, to engage with God. They're for ordinary life. Spiritual disciplines or exercises are meant to be joyful, not dull and miserable. They're not given to us to squeeze the joy and laughter out of life. They're given to free us, to liberate our spirits from the stifling slavery to self-interest and fear. We can simply sit down and enjoy our surroundings. I've done that a couple of times this week, just sit in a park and think of God. We can sing and dance and shout. They're not to make us look serious and miserable. They're to help us enjoy God. Opportunities to enjoy God that will help us grow. There are means of grace. See, a means of grace. It's not just about our own efforts, earning heavenly brownie points by performing our religious duties. Do we earn the right to receive from God? No. But God has given us the disciplines of the spiritual life as a means of receiving his grace. 
The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. By themselves, spiritual disciplines can do nothing. They can only get us to a place where something can be done. They are God's means of grace. I'm not earning my way to heaven. I'm not putting my own efforts into being a spiritual person. I'm not pretending to be closer to God. All I'm doing by taking the opportunity of the disciplines is putting myself in a place and giving myself to God and opening myself to him in such a way that he can work in my life. So rather than ignoring him, rather than just being overwhelmed with busyness, I'm taking even five minutes out to put myself in a place where he can work. I'm not earning my way to heaven. Do I do nothing then? It's not my own efforts, it's God's working by grace, so should I do nothing? Well, Richard Foster says it's the way of disciplined grace. Grace, because it's free and it's the work of God, but also disciplined because there's something for us to do. We need to hunger for God, we need to make some time and space. We need to put ourselves in the right place, and then if we do, God will speak to us. And God will transform us. It's a, a partnership. Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. I've always loved this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So something for you to do. But it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So we work out our salvation, we put ourselves in the right place, and then God does his work in our lives. It's a wonderful divine partnership. I mentioned a story some time ago from a church pastor, someone in his church, he challenged to give a bit of time to God. And this guy said, I'm a busy executive, I've got no time at all. And then a few months later, the guy thought again, and got up just slightly earlier, put a chair in a, in a corner of a room, made himself a cup of coffee and sat in the chair. And by doing that, he found God speaking to him, God transforming his life, God calling him to do wonderful things for the kingdom just by that simple act of obedience. And we're still learners. We remain lifelong learners. You never take your L plates off in the spiritual life. There's no sense in which we've made it, we've arrived. We're saying we're all called to love and follow Jesus, and that journey never finishes. But the goal is not to make us religious, but it's to make us more like Jesus. Jesus encountered many religious leaders, didn't he, in his life. They appeared to be very disciplined, but they were shallow, they were unloving, they were self-righteous, they were tight-fisted, they were spoiled sports. God doesn't want that for you. That's not the purpose of spiritual disciplines. When you look at the life of Jesus, you see that he was full of love, full of joy, full of wisdom. He extended grace to people. He was humble. He was forgiving. He was self-sacrificing. And that's what we want disciplines to make us, not more religious, but to make us more like Jesus, more loving, more gracious, more welcoming. 
more truthful, more honest, more real. That's what they're there for. I've seen uh, the film The Passion of the Christ a few times, and obviously the focus there is on the the death of Jesus on the cross. It's quite a shocking film. I think we should probably all watch it once, but not necessarily too much. But in the earlier part of the film, you see him at home with his mother, and just the the joy on his face and the smile and the, the, the way he related to his mother just in that film, if you only watch the first 10 minutes, Maybe that's enough. That's something of the heart of Jesus and spiritual disciplines and making us more like Jesus and not making us miserable religious people. And what I would say in reflection on this, we need to close uh, fairly soon, is let's start somewhere. Let's get hold of the basics. And if you haven't yet, it's really good just to get hold of the basics, basics of prayer, and Bible reading, perhaps. If you do the Alpha course, Nicky Gumbel talks about that. He uh, happens to live in central London, where Holy Trinity Brompton is, and he goes out of the church house, uh, walks five minutes to Hyde Park, and he has a privilege uh, of walking around Hyde Park, talking to God in prayer, and then sitting down on a bench and hearing from God in the Bible. And that's his daily habit, and that simple thing, be someone that gets hold of the basics and stays with that. And there's a danger that we don't. I know that danger in my own life. Again, in Hebrews, it says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. And I've known times where I've drifted away and have left some of those very basic daily disciplines of prayer and reading God's word. And it's not helped me grow it's not made me more like jesus it's not a rule there may be seasons in your life where that's really hard but take the opportunity and the the guy that's speaking at our weekend away matt frost that's one of the things he's managed to do all through his ministry never neglect those basic things and god's really blessed him uh, in that so do that read the bible to meet god read the bible to learn from god And read the Bible to obey God. It's not just head knowledge, it's heart knowledge. Augustine uh, said this to God, You've made us for yourself. Our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. And our hearts will be restless until we get in that rhythm of life and find ourselves in God. James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you let's take that opportunity i confess many times i haven't but let's get in that flow and once you got in the flow of the basics explore explore more go deeper in worship take the opportunity to live more simply take some time out for solitude explore knowing god in fasting as well as prayer to get the basics in place make that a daily rhythm and then explore something new as you follow God and you want to grow in him. And then finally, making progress. And I'll rush through these before we finish. Uh, make it a pro- Next slide, please. Make it a priority. And uh, I'll just, the two fatal words I find, I'll just do this and then I'll give some space to God. So first thing in the morning, well, I could read my bible i'll just do this 
and then you're racing out to work or at night, I'll just watch this, I'll just do this, and then, and then you're asleep. And uh, maybe God's speaking to you in dreams and visions, but maybe not. Make it a priority. And uh, it says, uh, this is one of uh, Peter Lexon's favorite verses because he hates physical exercise. Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. 1 Timothy 4.8. Physical training, for all you people that are down at the gym, is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And it's a wonderful thing. Do we think of training spiritually? I need to have that dynamic. Johnny Glennie, some of us know Paul and Ricky in this church, their uh, second son, Johnny, is doing an Ironman right now as we speak. He's, doing, he's been preparing for it all year, and he's doing his Ironman. He started at half seven this morning, so uh, it's still going on. And our son and some of friends have driven to Wales to send him off at 7.30 this morning and then to see him run past them at some point in the middle of the day and then to spend the evening when he's finished it tonight. They're celebrating that physical training is of some importance, but spiritual training is of more importance than that. What's our, our value system? Do we take that opportunity? Do we apply it in the spiritual realm? Journeying together it's a communal faith. Jesus had 12 disciples. He had an inner core of three. He sent them out in pairs to do the work. You can grow better if you journey together. And uh, some of us have discipleship groups. Mine is with some local ministers. And uh, we haven't met in the summer, and I was trying to get a meeting together this week. And one of them's away on sabbatical, and one's on uh, a mission abroad, and one's in another part of the country, so we can't meet for a couple of months. I really miss it. Journeying together is really, really important. Growing through adversity is uh, a really important thing as well. Um, you'll have known pressure in life. You'll have lost your job. You'll have known a close relative or friend that's died. You've had disappointments. Do we turn away from God at those times, or do we grow through them. Job and his wife lost their children, their possessions in her anguish. His wife said, curse God and die. And Job perseveres. We don't judge her for feeling that way. But he persevered and came through. Does adversity wreck our faith? Or do we become stronger through adversity? I believe by the grace of God, a way of growth, a way to be a deeper person is to endure and persevere with the presence of God through adversity, not to blame God, but to stay close to God can really help us grow as people and grow in God. 1 Peter 1, verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold. And we want golden faith that's grown and it's tried and tested through fire and trouble and we can be knocked off course but we can really grow through pressure and adversity and attack and difficulty we can use it as a, a way of growing and then the last two taking your next step uh, 2 peter 1 
5 to 8. You must learn to know God better and discover what he wants you to do. Next, learn to put aside your own desires so you'll become patient and godly, gladly letting God have his way with you. This will make possible the next step, which is for you to enjoy other people and to like them. And finally, you will grow to love them deeply. The more you go on in this way, the more you will grow strong spiritually and become fruitful and useful to our Lord Jesus Christ. And wherever you're at, we want to encourage everyone to grow. Take the next step. What's the next step for you? Hear from God what you can do next and take that next step and see where it leads. And then finally, pressing on towards the prize. Paul in Philippians 3.14, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. That's desire to grow. It's a work of God in our lives, but let's put ourselves in the place where he can and will work in us and bring his maturity. Let's pray together now. Lord, thank you that it's good to grow. Thank you it's good for us. Thank you it's good for your kingdom. Lord, we don't want to be infants in our thinking. We want to be children in evil. But we want to be mature in understanding of who you are, not just as a a knowledge head thing, but as a heart and lived out thing. Lord, help us to have a vision to grow. Help us to see it as such a positive thing. Thank you you're not trying to uh, put dull duties on us. You're just giving us windows of opportunity to experience you more, to know you more, and to grow in you. Lord, thank you for that. Help us to take those opportunities and help us to encourage each other to take those opportunities. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.